KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. This is a dark time here in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. We have the virus spiking just about everywhere. Hospitals are at their breaking points. Healthcare workers being asked to work way beyond their limits, but There is some good news. Multiple vaccines have been shown to be effective and they are on their way. So what do we need to know about these vaccines and how big a challenge will getting the population vaccinated be? Wanted to talk about all this, so we reached out to Dr. Annette Raboli. She is the Dean of Cooper Medical School at Rowan University. Her field of expertise is infectious diseases. She always brings a lot to the table. Important conversation. Give a listen. So it has been a long battle through this pandemic, and we are in a particularly dark period now as we head into the the winter months. But a lot of excitement on the vaccine front as it now seems like we've got three that are ready to go. How how big is this development? So this is really a significant big development, as you say. We've been waiting for these vaccines. They've been on a fast track with regard to the study of them, and uh, they're finally coming to fruition. Now, initially, the Food and Drug Administration put a um, efficacy parameter on them of about 50%. They said that they would give an emergency use authorization to vaccines that met 50%. So most people were expecting that these vaccines would come in with about 50 to 70% efficacy. But when the results were just recently released based on the interim analyses of these phase three trials, all of them are coming in with very high efficacy of 95% for the Pfizer vaccine, 94.5%, again, pretty much the same number for the Moderna vaccine. And most recently, AstraZeneca, uh, who has done their vaccine in conjunction with Oxford, actually gave a range. They had two dosing regimens. One was about 60 some odd percent, around 70 percent. And the other one was also 90 percent. They looked at these two dosage regimens. So these are all coming in very, very high. Now, we might say that efficacy in the vaccine trial is different from effectiveness, which is a the real world situation. You know, when you have participants in the trials, sometimes people with certain illnesses get excluded and uh, it may not work out the same. The other thing is the effectiveness is also predicated on people accepting these vaccines and taking them. You know, a lot of them have new technology associated with them. So the Pfizer product and the Moderna product are what we call genetic vaccines. They're uh, messenger RNA vaccines. The AstraZeneca product has an adenovirus vector. So these vaccines are relatively new. The adenovirus vectors have been used previously. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of concern among people about whether they will want to be in the first groups getting these vaccines, et cetera. But the vaccines will only get us out of sort of the dark days of this if people accept them. 
if people get vaccinated, and that rests also on the success of the vaccination program, how they roll out, how they get these things out to the products out to people. The first two, well, the Pfizer product in particular, the Pfizer product requires ultra cold. And that is a barrier and a logistical issue that has to be navigated. The AstraZeneca product does not require that. It could be kept at a refrigerator temperature until it's ready for use. If For the ultra-cold vaccine, the Pfizer product, the vaccine disintegrates, the product disintegrates and loses its efficacy if it gets thawed and, you know, sits at a, a, a temperature for a prolonged period of time. Now, these vaccines require two doses. That's another aspect to them. To be effective, you have to get the second dose as well. One dose is not sufficient. Now, there are a number of other vaccines, though, in pipeline. So there are some that are still in animal studies, others that are in phase one, which is looking at safety. Some are in phase two and others are about to enter phase three. So I think we're going to see an explosion of products coming available. The federal government for this phase has purchased large amounts, millions of doses to distribute them free of charge. Virtually every state has been required to produce a plan for how they are going to distribute the vaccine. They had to submit their plans to the CDC for approval. Then they will be receiving vaccine product. There are actually four states that are doing some pilot projects with these vaccines right now. New Jersey expects to get their vaccine supply in uh, mid-December. And uh, they're currently, the health department is doing a lot of planning right now uh, for how they're going to distribute it. The first doses, of course, phase 1A, will be healthcare workers and those who support the healthcare infrastructure. People who have to work in the hospital, food services, the people who keep the hospital clean, the housekeeping staff, et cetera. All those folks will be in 1A and essential public health infrastructure personnel, first responders. Uh, that's what I would call that group. Uh, 1B includes police and fire. Then you'll be having folks come in who have comorbidities, people who their age presents a risk. So, you know, it, it's quite a, uh, a rollout. And the goals are to accomplish most of the vaccination uh, by March and April of 2021. So it's quite a, um, an ambitious plan that has to be rolled out. I want to talk a little bit about the, the really low temperatures that uh, the first, the Pfizer one, and I guess to another point, Moderna has to be. People, everybody's paying attention to vaccines, and I think these are. This is something that most people just took for granted. That yeah, I get them, and and that's just how it works. How? Give us some context. How unusual is it that a vaccine has to be kept at at these low low temperatures, and the extra challenge that presents? Okay, very unusual. Very unusual. Now these refrigerators are minus seventy degrees. Okay. And so that's considered ultra cold. Some institutions have them, some hospitals have them, and research labs. 
we have about nine or 10 of these freezers at my institution. Our parent university, Rowan University, also has several of these uh, refrigerators, but they're used by the researchers uh, to preserve their samples for their research work. So um, some institutions do not have these and I can't really think of any other vaccines that require that type of level of cold. Some could be kept in a, in a freezer. Uh, some could be kept at the temperature in a regular refrigerator. But this is a significant issue logistically. And you mentioned other vaccines coming down the pike. Do you think, assuming, let's assume that a handful of these vaccines that are still in animal trials and such prove to work to the similar levels. Would you assume we would move away from those that require that refrigeration or that is probably going to be developed into the infrastructure won't where six months from now it won't be the challenge it is now? I think that as newer products do come on board, as long as they come to fruition and have comparable efficacy, so I think, you know, the efficacy issue is a key issue. So if somebody's given a choice of something that's 60% effective versus something that has 95%, most people would want the product that has 95%. As long as the safety profile is there, that's also very important. And uh, so far from uh, what I've read and understand, the vaccines, these three have been shown to be not only very effective, but they're also, or have great efficacy, but they're also deemed to be pretty safe. In the first two, the Moderna and the Pfizer trials, there weren't any serious adverse events. The side effects were common ones, you know, soreness of the arm, some headache, some feeling of fatigue, things like when you get your flu shot, you might have. So I think that that's a very, very important consideration. Now, going back to the issue, there is one product that is in an early phase right now of development, and that would be an oral vaccine. And I think that that would have cachet as long as the efficacy is comparable and as long as the safety is, profile is comparable, that that would become very popular with people. Uh, they wouldn't have to get an injection Vaccines that are single dose, similarly, you know, you don't have to keep that appointment for the second dose, 21 or 28 days, respectively, for the products, the first two products that have become available. So, you know, these will probably roll out in the next year or so. For the ones that need two shots, kind of explain why. Why can't it be just one shot? What is it that necessitates, you know, two different, uh, two different shots? So that is to get the highest response possible and produce the most antibody. Now, there's something interesting with the AstraZeneca vaccine. So the first two uh, released information about, you know, the numbers of cases that occurred in the placebo arm, the arm that did not get the vaccine versus the arm that did get the vaccine or the group, I should say. The AstraZeneca vaccine also showed a decrease in uh asymptomatic infection with COVID, which is also, I think, an important feature. 
what I don't know is whether the other two manufacturers looked at this or not, or whether they haven't done the analysis yet. But that's also important too. So right now we're looking at very high efficacy for these three first three products for prevention of COVID disease, but you do have to get that second dose to maximize your antibody response. And then the second part of this is at least one of them looks like it even has an effect of preventing or developing antibody, I should say, developing antibody in asymptomatic individuals. And I think that that's important because right now, a major concern is that it is asymptomatic individuals who are spreading this virus to to others, you know, because most people now realize if I'm having symptoms, I shouldn't have contact with others. I need to stay home. I need to contact my uh, healthcare provider. I need to get tested. It's the asymptomatic people that are doing some spreading right now. How much, I mean, this is a heavy lift under the best of circumstances, or I should say in the most favorable of circumstances. We're in the midst of a presidential transition. We're going to have a whole new administration. How much does that, I don't know if complicates the word, but you're going to be having a lot of handoff between government officials and government uh, institutions over the next couple months. How big a challenge is that when we're trying to mass vaccinate an entire population of some 330 million people? So I think that that could be a barrier if there's not a smooth transition, that there could be a problem with this. But I know each state, and I I know New Jersey, certainly, uh, I can't, but most of the states are forging ahead because that's where the real effort, I think, is going to be. Now, the federal government has paid for the vaccine. That's a tremendous and wonderful thing. So cost, at least in this phase, is not a problem. People don't have to worry about their insurance paying for it or having to pay for it in any event at this phase of the campaign to vaccinate people. But the real boots on the ground distribution rests at the state level. So as long as the state is able to function and as long as the CDC is able to get vaccine, the manufacturers and the CDC are able to work with the states to ensure that they get their supply of vaccine, I think that that should go smoothly. But, you know, you always worry about transitions, especially if it's acrimonious, that uh, something will happen that could affect a smooth process for this. And the smoothness of the process becomes important. You know, there have been vaccine campaigns that were disastrous in the past because the, the logistics didn't work out. You know, there's going to be need to be a lot of public relations work, a lot of messaging to get the average citizen to accept the vaccine. Yeah, to that point, and you talked earlier how this efficacy is kind of based on people getting it and you know, there's a portion of the population, and it's not as small as I think some people think, that are very anti-any vaccine. How concerned are you that that's going to prolong this? And how big a hurdle is that getting through to those people, how important that it, this is? Very concerned. So one thing I do want to point out that efficacy and effectiveness are not the same thing. They're not the same. So the effectiveness may be lower 
in the real world as we're doing this. But certainly, you know, the acceptance and, uh, you know, voluntary vaccination, because these programs will be voluntary. The sooner we get our citizens vaccinated, the sooner we'll have some ending of this. Now, the other thing to realize about the vaccine, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, is for each individual who gets vaccinated, we won't know if we've mounted an effective antibody response. So as long as there is a pandemic, we still need to wear our mask, do our distancing, our hand hygiene, the precautions, you know, the simple yet effective precautions that we know. So until we have the pandemic declared over, the vaccine is not the panacea. Okay, so we may or may not, as individuals, have a response to it. So we still have to do all of these precautions until the World Health Organization declares the pandemic uh, over. And, you know, historically, there have been some major campaigns. The eradication of smallpox comes to mind as one of them, a worldwide effort to get this under control. Now, there are other companies, uh, international companies that are producing vaccine. There have been other countries that are also purchasing large amounts of vaccine to vaccinate their citizens, uh, just like the United States is. Uh, And today, the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, which is something put out by the CDC, it's a report put out some of the considerations in uh, how people, uh, how the uh, states are going to allocate vaccine, you know, as far as transparency in the process and how they decide who's going to be first in line in, in each cohort and things like that. How do you expect, and you talked about, you know, 1A, 1B, who's going to get it first and stuff like that. Uh, as far as the masses are concerned, regular old folks like me, do you uh, anticipate this would be just something you call the doctor and go to? Do you think, do you anticipate clinics where they can do mass vaccinations, you know, for days, weeks at a time? Uh, you know, I don't know if this is just idle speculation, but have you heard talk about how the best way to approach this to, to get the most people involved? So, you know, I know a little bit about this. Some of the plans early on will be centered in large uh, academic medical centers that could vaccinate large numbers of people per day. And uh, the state is looking at major mega sites, major sites, relatively minor sites. Also, for some of the distribution, like in nursing homes, some of the big box pharmacies are going to get involved as well. At this point, it's going to be unlikely uh, within the next weeks or months that you could just call your doctor and say, you know, I'd like to get vaccinated. Now, they might be able to direct you and say, you know, we're doing this under the guidance of this organization or this hospital system and, uh, you know, get you in queue to receive it. I think that the very first phase with the healthcare uh, workers and those who support the infrastructure of the hospital, that should go fairly quickly and smoothly. Because remember, hospitals and health systems every year run big vaccination campaigns to get flu vaccine. 
to all of their workers. And the CDC also gives guidance on how to set up stations and things like that. So, you know, as this rolls out over the next few months, it's an ambitious program, but I think it's doable. And, you know, it's going to depend upon uh, a lot of folks rolling up their sleeves, partnering with the health departments to bring this about. Do we know how long we talked about getting two shots and do we know how long the vaccinations will last? Is this something every couple of years we think that you'll have to get another shot to continue it? Uh, I would just imagine... Is that difficult to gauge because these things have been developed so quickly with such a short amount of time? So the short answer is yes, that's difficult to gauge. Uh, In general, we're learning things about immunity for those who have gotten infected and their immune response is being studied, their antibody response, both their B cells, their T cell response, et cetera, the the two major wings of the immune system. But with regard to these vaccines, there needs to be more follow-up. Remember, these vaccines entered this third phase with the vaccination of 30, 40,000 people. They entered this phase in July. Okay, so we don't have that long-term follow-up. Right now, the conventional wisdom is that, you know, you don't get long-lasting immunity if you have natural infection. So you're going to need a vaccine, and it's probably that you're similar to the flu, you'll have to be vaccinated on an annual basis or maybe once every two years. Now, this will be followed, though. After these trials and when drugs uh, and vaccines are uh, become more widely used, uh, their safety is tracked and probably, well, I know for sure that the long-term efficacy will also be tracked, including uh, probably the people from those early trials will have uh, blood drawn to see if they still have have a response and how far out they have, you know, the response, how long it's endured. But that's something that has to play out over time. And do you think, you know, we've got the three vaccines that are on deck here, and you mentioned several others. Over time, will we eventually kind of all point to one that, that has the most effectiveness, the the longest, like, will we eventually get the one where everybody is taking the Pfizer and that's just life going forward? Or do you think it will be a combination of all these, assuming they are all safe and effective in the long term? Well, certainly, I think, you know, uh, with all the, the vaccine candidates and, uh, you know, I did some tallying, I saw some quotes that you know, there were about 200 different vaccine candidates from all sorts of companies worldwide. And then you, when you drill down, there were about 140 or so in various stages actual of development, uh, 80-something in uh, preclinical before they're used in people, animal testing, and about 50-some-odd that are being looked at either in phase one, phase two, or phase three clinical trials, which are, those are the three clinical trial breakdowns for this. So, you know, some of these will surely fall by the wayside, but in other situations, 
There are other vaccines that are already in use where different companies have a product. Most of them are comparable to each other. The big vaccine manufacturers, you know, each have their own, you know, shingles vaccine, things like that. And, uh, you know, over time, newer versions do appear. But I I think it's quite stunning and remarkable that the pharmaceutical industry rose to the occasion on this and uh, really came forward to develop these. Under usual circumstances, vaccine development takes years, sometimes as long as a decade, to go from concept all the way through to actual marketing. And uh, I think that this mobilization has been quite amazing and wonderful. So, um, you know, we just hope that it gets now distributed in a way that, you know, we vaccinate 70% of our population. You know, that's a a, a target number. Uh, New Jersey has about 8.8 million residents. So, uh, you know, this is going to be a big task at hand uh, for the health department to manage, but they'll have, um, you know, strong partners in our health systems and, and other, you know, stakeholders who will assist with this. So I'm optimistic. I am very optimistic. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.